This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're plowing on into Hebrews, destroying the one who has the power of death, Jesus better than Moses, as long as it is called today. There remains a Sabbath rest and the throne of grace. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Of course, this virus was elsewhere in the world before it came to us. We can see maybe a picture of the future, good or ill, literally ill, in these other cases. One of the places it was first to hit, and one of the places that actually is handling it fairly well, is Hong Kong. Now, if you know where Hong Kong is located, it's right on the south side of China. It is China, in fact. It wasn't always, but it is now China, not the mainland How did they deal with it? How did the churches there deal with this virus? This is the kind of stuff we're trying to work out now here in the United States, especially Christians and their pastors. What do we do when the government says you can't get together or limits the number of people who can get together? We're going to be talking about the church and the coronavirus. Lyman Stone joins us, a senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, adjunct fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he studies and writes about demographics, family, and American culture. He and his wife serve as missionaries with the Lutheran Church Hong Kong Synod. And he's author of a recent column titled, The Church Must Be a Refuge in the Midst of Fear. Lyman, welcome back to Issues Etc. It's good to be here. As a father of a newborn child... How has it been facing the threat of coronavirus there in Hong Kong? (laughs) Uh, It has been a little bit nerve-wracking. There's sort of the only silver lining of COVID, right, is that children tend to be pretty resilient. But still, you know, newborns are are sensitive. So it's, it's made it very clear to us how important it is that we be hygienic and clean and practice social distancing, not for our own good, but for our neighbor, particularly our nearest neighbor, our quite vulnerable infant daughter. Describe the conditions there in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong began to get exposed to the this novel coronavirus, COVID-19, several weeks ago. We were kind of on the front lines as travelers arrived from China. And The government here was very slow to respond. They kind of didn't do anything, which is pretty typical of the government of Hong Kong at this point. But the population here was not slow to respond. Memories of the SARS virus that killed several hundred Hong Kong people uh, in 2003 are still pretty painful and fresh for people. So as soon as we started to get cases, um, the general public responded with masks and cancellations and social isolation and hand washing and just really a population level resistance, um, a determination that it would not happen again. As a result, we've seen that we did have a little bit of a wave of local transmission here, but it was it was beaten pretty quickly. And now we've we've got new cases at very low levels. The vast majority of new cases here continue to be imported cases. So we've had now going on two months of social distancing efforts. Virtually my daughter's entire life uh, has been characterized by social distancing, but it's working and we're seeing success in protecting our neighbor. We should point out that 
at, while this was unfolding, Hong Kong itself was undergoing some pretty strong political upheaval, wasn't it? Exactly. And that contributed to all of this, that the government, of course, didn't want to add another economic hurt to the disruption already related to the the current political crisis here and the protests from it. And the population didn't trust the government. So when the government said, don't worry, everything's fine, we've got it under control, pretty much everyone in Hong Kong said, no, you don't. We don't trust you. You're lying. And distrusting the government was definitely the, the wise choice in this case. Are you surprised to see the crisis unfolding as it has in the U.S.? <laughs> uh, I wish I could say I was surprised. However, American cultural values and the, the sort of the American attitude towards things is based on a kind of optimism, a kind of sense that we will be immune from terrible things happening. This is such a bedrock to our culture that, that terrible things happen in other countries. They don't happen to us. That I am, I'm in fact not surprised to see that many Americans are resisting the sacrifice on behalf of their neighbor that is entailed by social distancing. I'm, I'm not surprised to see that the American government was slow to respond and continues to, uh, to drag its feet in, in providing an adequate response um, at all levels. Uh, that, that's not very surprising to me at all. This has been something that experts have been warning about for decades, that the U.S. was very vulnerable to a major epidemic. And it's happening in exactly the way that has been predicted for years. How does God's Word guide the Church at a time of international crisis and the spread of disease? I think when we look at Scripture, and especially when we look at the history of Christians trying to interpret Scripture uh, in the context of plague and disease, um, we see a couple of principles for how Christians respond. And the first, of course, is essentially related to Christ's commands to love your neighbor as yourself, his statement, the greater love has no man than this, and that he should lay down his life for his friend, um, that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Um, and essentially the idea here is that we must be prepared for costly sacrifice. That is, our life must be considered as less important than our neighbor's life, which means we care for our neighbor even if we get sick. We do not abandon our posts. Whereas others may, may reach the conclusion that the danger of COVID means that they can close up their shop or their office or their, their medical practice or their church, Lutherans say no. No, the danger of COVID means that people need our service and our help even more. It turns our vocations into crosses on which we may die. So that's the first thing it does. The second is that it really amplifies the teachings in our catechism about the fifth commandment, um, about protecting and serving our neighbor. This is a fifth commandment issue, namely that uh, not only do we not murder our neighbor, but we help and serve him and protect him in every physical need. Um, Luther's very clear in his essay, Whether One Should Flee the Plague, that to negligently infect someone because you refused to take recommended precautions is murder. And so for us, we practice social distancing here in Hong Kong, not because we want to protect ourselves, it's not to keep ourselves healthy. It's because failure to do so is murdering our neighbor. Finally, the church responds to a time of crisis by continuing to gather and be the church. 
That is, we don't do as others do and turn social distancing into complete isolation. We maintain an understanding that to thrive and to survive and to confront crisis, humans need the restorative work of the church. We can't just hide in our homes, lock the doors, and hope for the best. We have to have some kind of lifeline to human community where we come together, we commune together, um, and we receive the good gifts of God reminding us that even if we sleep, we wake again. That is, as difficult as the day may seem, that there is one who cares for us. And so these are sort of our principles, that we sacrifice courageously, that we care for others diligently, and that we continue to be the church and gather together. Lyman Stone is our guest. We're talking about the church and coronavirus. He's author of a recent column titled, The Church Must Be a Refuge in the Midst of Fear. We'll be sending out the Issues Etc. journal tomorrow. It contains my most recent column, Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving, and our Wittenberg Trail feature by Nancy Almodovar. She tells the story of her journey from a very uncertain Calvinism, Reformed theology, to the certainty of Lutheranism. You can subscribe absolutely free to the online Issues Etc. journal at our website, issuesetc.org. On the right-hand column, you'll find the subscribe button. Enter your email address, and we will send you the latest Issues Etc. journal. When we come back, in practical terms, how has Lyman's congregation How has it dealt with coronavirus? What kind of steps, practical steps, has it taken to keep the doors open, to keep the people coming there in perhaps fear and trepidation, and to keep God's word and the sacraments flowing? Stay tuned. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred Music for the Season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Lutheran Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the church and coronavirus. Lyman Stone is our guest. A little bit later, Kristen Day of Democrats for Life will join us to talk about some primary challenges to pro-life Democrats coming from their fellow Democrats. And we'll discuss a prayer service called the Litany, a very appropriate prayer for these times. Pastor David Peterson, departmental editor of God the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy, will be with us in the last half hour or so of the program. Lyman, how is your congregation, how has your congregation there in Hong Kong dealt with COVID-19? Oh, we've taken a number of precautions. When you enter the building, you get your temperature checked with an infrared thermometer. Um, we have a hand-washing station before you enter, enter the, the sanctuary itself. We've spaced out seating. The, the church looks kind of funny right now because there's like five feet between each seat. Uh, we've canceled a lot of tertiary activities for our church coffee hour. We've moved all the food sort of behind the counter. You make a request for what we would like, you would like, and then someone can pass you an individually wrapped item of food or a, a poured drink. You don't just get it yourself. We've taken essentially sanitary precautions that are in line with what the CDC recommends. We've been very fortunate here that we have we have a large enough space for our church community that we can space people out. And we have a community that is really deeply invested both in social distancing as a strategy, but also in continuing to maintain the life of the church. So we, we've essentially implemented social distancing very aggressively. And at the same time, a practice of sharing. If my wife and I were to run out of toilet paper, we know that someone in our church would give us toilet paper. And the reason is because people in our church have given us, given us diapers and given us wet wipes for Susie. And this is the practice of our church and everything is to share. When people in our church have run out of masks, others in the church give them masks. When you run out of hand soap, others in the church will give you hand soap. Um, we take care of each other. And that doesn't just mean with our prayers. It doesn't just mean when your neighbor says, I need a coat, you should pray for him. No, it means when your neighbor says, I need hand sanitizer, even if you have only two squirts left, you give one to your neighbor. So this has been a very practical measure in our church. We actually, when you show up to church, if you're short of masks, you will go home from church with masks or hand sanitizer or whatever it is that you need. Have there been restrictions on the size of gatherings there in Hong Kong that have affected congregations? Uh, we've not had explicit restrictions. We are allowed to gather in whatever size. However, in practice, Implementing sanitary recommendations for large congregations is extremely difficult, virtually impossible if you're talking about several hundred people gathered together at once. In that case, what some congregations have been forced to do is to adopt strategies like phased services or multi-siting. Phased services are where you basically, instead of just having a one service on Sunday morning or two services on Sunday morning, you move to having five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten services throughout the week. And you give congregational members basically designated times when they are allowed to come to church. Um, so this is a strategy for large churches to maintain physical gathering and particularly to maintain the, the convenient and orderly offering of communion or a gift of communion, even if they cannot all assemble at one time. How can the COVID-19 crisis be an opportunity for the church to do what only the church can do, which is preach God's Word. So COVID-19 is bad. It's a serious epidemic. It's 5 to 25 times worse than the flu. 
depending on, of course, your, your age bracket and how the government responds. But as bad as COVID is, if society responds well and adopts social distancing, COVID is beatable. But in the process of beating it, there is a second epidemic. That is an epidemic of loneliness, of isolation, of fear, of really despair, of people confronting mortality in a way that is rare in modern society. As I said, my worry for America is that we're just not culturally prepared for this kind of death threat, but this is true of many societies. So the church can be the church by pointing people to the reality that there is something else, that it is better to die serving your neighbor than to die alone in your house surrounded by masks you never got a chance to use. We can remind people that whatever happens to this flesh, that there is a hope, that there is something else. We can point people towards a community and a communion, which can steel them against the difficulties of the day. In fact, we can point them towards their daily bread in a truer sense than just the canned goods that they're storing up in their house. So this is actually an opportunity for us to uh, show our neighbors what it is to be the church. And particularly, that means helping and serving our neighbor. That means bringing food to our elderly congregation members. That means setting up hygienic, well-organized, and disease-free parent shares uh, for families with kids who are out of school. That means diligently sharing what we have with others in our church to ensure that everyone in our church has enough to be free of infection. That means taking concerted efforts to help one another and to serve our communities so that everyone can see, as they saw during the Antonine and Cyprian plagues in the Roman Empire, that Christians are different, that these, these annoying Galileans, they care for the poor and the sick of all of society, that they are faithful not only to the house of faith, but to all men. Um, these are the things people said about Christians during the Roman Empire. These are the things that were said of Lutherans during, during plagues in the 15, 16, and 1700s, that they took care of people, that they did not abandon their communities, that they showed the cross of Christ. And COVID is an opportunity to do that again. How does the church continue to work in communities that may themselves be virtually shut down? Right. There are several ways. One is it's especially important that people with with risk factors, so diabetics, those with high blood pressure, the elderly, those with respiratory conditions or suppressed immune systems, it's especially important that they not go out, that they remain in their house as long as possible. But for that to work, other people will need to run errands for them. Other people will need to visit them and sit on their porch and have a conversation with them through the screen door so that they don't go absolutely insane. These are things that we can do to help people, even if they are quarantined. But I also mentioned the United States only has about 160,000 ventilators. But if it gets bad, we may need as many as a million ventilators to care for everyone. This is not possible. This won't happen, which means that hospitals may become overwhelmed. And if they become overwhelmed, then we may be in a situation where we actually have to care for our neighbor, where we will have a choice. 
between either letting our elderly neighbor die alone, choking on what remains of their lungs, or going and sitting with them, and perhaps trying to help them break the fever, uh, or help them breathe, or help them eat and drink, or if nothing else, ensuring that they don't die alone. If we get in a situation where hospitals are completely overwhelmed, then we will once again be in a position that Christians faced in plagues throughout the first 1,800 years of our faith, where it is up to us to make a decision about how our neighbor is going to die. Alone? Without help? With no one caring for them? Or with someone demonstrating Christ-like sacrifice to be with them. We can all hope it doesn't get to that point. We can hope that hospitals and, and medical, uh, medical systems are not overwhelmed. But right now, the, the predictions being made by epidemiologists is that hospitals will become overwhelmed. And in that case, we will all have a choice on whether we really are our neighbor's keeper. Finally then, Lyman, what is the Church's message in a time of heightened fear and anxiety? I think it is precisely this, that yes, you may fear, but there is a God who casts out fear. You may be sick, but there is a God who is a healer of souls. You may have a government that you don't trust, that isn't responding as well as it should, but there is a King of Kings and one who brings even kings of this earth down to dust in the end. The message of Christians is that there is something more, that there is something else, and that because there is something else, it changes how we confront the disease today. We confront it with a courage because our own life is of so little importance next to our neighbor's life. But we confront it also with diligence not to endanger and murder our neighbor, because we take seriously our responsibility to our neighbor. And most importantly, we do not confront it alone. We confront it as part of churches, communities, that care for each other and together work out their vocations. And of course, even if, because of our risk factors, we cannot come to church because we are at very high risk of being infected, nonetheless, we do not confront COVID alone, because wherever we are, the Spirit goes beside us. Lyman Stone is Senior Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. He is Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he studies and writes about demographics, family, and American culture. He and his wife serve as missionaries with the Lutheran Church Hong Kong Synod, and he's author of a recent column titled, The Church Must Be a Refuge in the Midst of Fear. You can read it and learn more about Lyman's mission work in Hong Kong at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Lyman, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be talking about primary challenges to pro-life Democrats from other Democrats with Kristen Day, Executive Director of Democrats for Life of America, right after the break. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're plowing on into Hebrews 
destroying the one who has the power of death, Jesus, better than Moses, as long as it is called today. There remains a Sabbath rest and the throne of grace. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever. Your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com. Classicalspecialneeds.com. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Do you know any military veterans in your church or community? Do you have a passion to support and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then Operation Barnabas is for you. Called by Christ's love, Operation Barnabas engages, empowers, and equips LCMS faith communities to provide hope, healing, and support to military-connected persons living in their community. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, Find out more at lcms.org slash armed forces.